Go ahead. Gamma asks, are there alternate alternate routes to enlightenment in your tradition? I've heard that the contemplation of the mind and body, feelings, or practicing jhana can lead one to cessation as quote-unquote separate paths, and that each person should practice according to his or her temperament. Is this true? Without a teacher, how can I know which way is the best for me? To answer the last question first, without a teacher, it's very difficult to know which way is the best for you. Uh, You might have a certain feeling and you might have a certain tendency, but um, you might still have a lot of uh, defilements and even though if there's a, if a, uh, if there's a little knowledge about which would be good which way would be the good for you your your defilements could just be so strong that you that you can't see the uh, right way properly and that you assume something is the right way for you which is in reality not because it's just mere, more convenient or easier. So if many people without teacher think that, oh, this is easy, I can do that easy, so this must be the right way for me. Hmm. And that is mistaken most of the times. Um, in general, you can can say when it's too easy, then it's first not challenging enough for you, for your mind, and... Um, it doesn't develop, no? It, mm-hmm. it, you, you, you don't develop as mm. much, and um, you might just give in to your, to your defilements then. You might, oh, this is very easy, great, mm. uh, that's my way, and you just do that and, and don't look any further. And um, um, might miss the best then. Uh, so, as to whether there, there are separate paths, yeah, to the separate path uh, routes to enlightenment, you call them in our tradition. In our tradition, there's only one. And that is the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, which uh, Bhante mentioned, but I can repeat them. Body, feelings, mind and Dhamma, or also called mind objects. Um, And the contemplation or the, the, the... meditation for to gain insight about the three characteristics of everything hmm. the the uh, impermanence unsatisfactoriness and uncontrollability of of everything uh, this is the route to enmi- enlightenment in our tradition um there are as you mentioned separate path 
they are now separate, but they weren't so much separate in the Buddha's time. Now we have Samatha meditation and Vipassana meditation. One is more developing calm and peace and concentration, and the other is developing insight. Um, <clears throat> in fact, you need to have concentration and mindfulness. You can't really separate the, the path, but uh, actually when you, uh, when you practice Vipassana meditation, you develop concentration, so you don't need to go separate path. You can just do Vipassana meditation and develop um, enough concentration and by uh, at the same time enough uh, mindfulness to get to your goal, to, to go the road to enlightenment. Yeah, I mean the the whole character type thing is only for samatha meditation. I think I, I mentioned that in, in an earlier talk. Uh, people always talk about character types, but in the practice of insight meditation, uh, character types are are all encompassed by the four foundations of mindfulness. The to give you a little bit of you know the the actual theory. Uh, theoretical structure that we have you know, is that there are two paths and one of them is the practice of samatha first and then vipassana. The other one is the practice of just vipassana without samatha. But the only reason they're separated in that way is because one of them does many things that are not uh, core or essential to the Buddha's teaching. For example, remembering past lives, reading people's minds, flying through the air. These benefits that come only from a person who develops what we call samatha meditation. The difference between samatha and vipassana is not the qualities of mind. The meaning of the word sam tranquility meditation is not that the, it's a tranquil practice. It's that the end goal is tranquility. So when someone was mentioning earlier of this practice of uh, watching the heart or breathing according to the heart and getting into a, a state of great um, what a great, great stability of mind and concentration well that's that's the goal of that practice there are many 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 there are an infinite number of practices you could dream up that uh, that lead to that if you look at my videos on how to meditate for kids we've only gotten that far I'm, I'm only we've only gotten through teaching kids how to watch colors and if you watch a color it's just one example of how uh, y your mind can become focused. So wh why it's called tranquility meditation is because it can't lead to insight. But that Focusing on the color, you can focus on it as much as you like, you'll never become enlightened until you start to look at it as impermanent suffering and non-self. But so, so what we call insight meditation is not not um, not for the reason that it has only insight, that it, it's not samatha meditation, it's not tranquility meditation because it has no tranquility, but because the goal of it is insight and the result of it is insight into reality. So it's focusing on the reality of the experience. If you're experiencing a color, that's not blue or yellow, that's seeing. It's the experience of light touching the eye and the, the blue only arises in the mind as a concept, as a, a recognition because there's no difference 
qual uh, qualitatively between blue, red, and yellow. They're just different waves of the same light uh, in the in the same in, in the same spectrum. So so it's it's really how it, it comes down to technique rather than path. There is only one path to enlightenment, and that is, as Palanyani said, it's the practice of the four of insight meditation in line with the four foundations of mindfulness. You practice mindfulness of of some part of your experience, whether it be physical or mental, or both physical and mental. And as a result, you develop insight into impermanence. Um, this word that un suffering. I'm just going to impermanent suffering and uncontrollability. But suffering really does mean that you can't. It's unsatisfying and unsatisfiable. And non-self means not only that it's non-self, but basically that it's not controllable. And with the clear realization of any one of these three, impermanent suffering or non-self, anicang, dukang, or anatta, the mind enters into cessation. It gives up. It says, ah, now I see everything is is uh, not worth clinging to. And it, it, it gives up its clinging and becomes, uh, or enters into a state of freedom, at least temporarily. But there are many techniques that you can use to get there. So if you want to develop strong concentration first before uh, developing insight, you can do that. Watch, look at a color. These are, this is a practical example. The problem is that certain certain of these techniques are not suitable for certain individuals. If you develop loving kindness, for example, but you're a person with great lust, so you start, um, you know, pick pick an attractive person and start sending out love for them. Well, it can be quite distracting because you're going back and forth between lust and or love and lust. If you're a person who is full of anger, then you shouldn't practice mindfulness of loathsomeness. So some people will watch their body and in order to get rid of lust, they will look at the parts of the body, the hair, the, the fur, the body hair, the nails, the teeth, the skin, the flesh, the the bones, and so on. All of the parts of the body, they'll focus on them one by one to see the truth of them and get rid of the, the lust. If you're an angry person, this doesn't do you any good. It, in fact, is harmful because it makes you repulsed by your own body and you want to kill yourself. Apparently, this, this sort of thing happens. So that's where the different quote-unquote paths come, but they're just different techniques suitable for different people because in order to gain that state of calm, you need to counteract whatever it is that is making you distracted. If you're an agitated person, you should do sitting or lying meditation. If you're a uh, lazy person, you should do walking or standing meditation, for example. But when it comes to actually developing insight and, and understanding, the there is only one, there's really only one um, object and, and, and one technique. Now, the object is reality. The technique is seeing reality clearly. How could there possibly be? So people, people often, uh, are, are you know, the, this we have this this postmodern mindset, and people have been calling me out for postmodernism. Look it up on Wikipedia. The base definition of postmodernism is is relative truth. That that truth is not objective. That that there is no one way or one truth or one. And this doesn't jive with Buddhism. It, and it there's nothing intrinsically. Log more logical about that than, than about there being an absolute truth. The problem is we don't know the ultimate truth, so we've come to start to say, well, maybe truth is subjective. Your way is your way, my way is my way. But 
what we mean by the one path is not that you have to become a monk or you have to uh, practice our tradition even or you have to call, say what you're doing is vipassana or it's samatha or it's this or it's that or it's jhana no? you, you have to practice a certain type of jhana what it means is you have to see reality for what it is reality is your object seeing it for what it is is the technique there's no other technique there's no other way if you don't see reality this is the buddhist theory if you don't see reality for what it is you'll never become enlightened the only way to to become enlightened is to see reality for what it is the buddha said the truth of suffering is to be understood thoroughly. If you understand the truth of suffering thoroughly, you'll give up the cause of suffering. Once you give up the cause of suffering, there's the cessation of suffering. This is the path to the cessation of suffering. Okay.